so this is, wow, this is a really, really wonderful psalm, uh, and I've called it Not Feeling It. That's the name of our message this morning, Not Feeling It. Uh, you may have noticed that this psalm begins and ends with these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. If you listen to a lot of Caleb Christian radio, you can't hear that right, without being like, bless the Lord, oh my, you know, it's just there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Now, who is David talking to? His soul, yes. He's talking to himself. This is one of those psalms, and there are several, where David kind of famously talks to himself. I would say the only equally well-known example of this is Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Remember that one where he says, what's wrong with you? Why are you so disturbed? Why are you so distressed? What is wrong, soul? I think that's how you talk to your soul. You know, you look down at like your chest. Uh, And so, why was wrong, soul? David talks to himself, maybe when he's really just in a rough spot, and uh, he looks down, he talks to himself, and in Psalm 42, we should note how he chooses to console his soul. He chooses to console his soul first by remembering, and what he remembers is a time of praise. He says, remember when I was dancing, right? When I was going with the great procession, the congregation. I think he's thinking of that time where the Ark of the Covenant's going into Jerusalem and, and he's kind of making his wife mad because he's dancing in front of it, you know, and not wearing the proper clothing, right? He's thinking of that moment of just losing himself in wonder, love, and praise. And then he does another thing. He tells his soul, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. So when his soul is downcast, he remembers this moment of just being out of his head, out of himself, praising the Lord with his people and just the the unmatched joy of that moment. And he comforts himself by saying, don't worry, I'm going to be there again. I'm going to be praising God again. So here we are about 60 Psalms later, and this is the moment. And David again talks to his soul. He says, bless the Lord, which is synonymous for praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. To bless the Lord is to Praise God, acknowledging him as the source of every blessing, right? All strength, all life comes from the Lord. And so he's praising the Lord. He's like, praise the Lord. Come on, soul. Bless the Lord. This is the moment that you've been waiting for. It's Sunday morning, you know. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Let's go. Praise the Lord. All that is within me. He's been waiting, and now he's coming to praise. Like when some of us, we weren't gathering for maybe a year, two years, and and you're back in the sanctuary, and it's time. Let's go. Praise the Lord. Psalm 116 says, what shall I render for all of these benefits? This God who's delivered me. Praise. Praise the Lord. As we've read the Psalms together this summer, uh, we've noted that how some are fitting for certain occasions, right? Like Psalm 119, Psalm 8, Psalm 107, those are great psalms for being out in nature and needing some words to praise God for the beauty around you. You know, Psalm 42 for depression, Psalm 133 for division, uh, and Psalm 
103 is a, a Sunday morning psalm, like maybe even before church, okay? It's a Sunday morning psalm. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, which is like Hebrew for let's go, you know? Let's go. But I think all of us know what it's like. All of us know what it's like to be unable to bring our whole self to the present task, you know? Be able to bring your whole soul, bring all that is within me to what I'm doing in the present moment. Like when I actually get on the exercise bike before coffee, <laughs> half of me is still in bed, you know? I'm like, push the pedals, oh my legs, you know? Like, let's go, I'm just not here, right? Or when Brittany's trying to have an important conversation with me and half of my brain is still at work, you know? And I'm like, listen to Brittany, oh my ears, you know? Or more seriously, have you ever been in a moment of celebration? Maybe even a moment of physical intimacy? And you're unable emotionally to bring yourself fully to that moment, right? Like you want to be in that moment, you want to bring your whole self, but maybe you've been hurt and so you're guarded in some ways. All sorts of ways we struggle to be where we are, you know, to bring our whole self to the present moment. The struggle is real, but the struggle is worth it. The struggle is worth it. Um, maybe that's you here this morning. You're not feeling it. It's July after all, you know. It's July. Uh, you know, maybe you want to worship and praise with your whole heart, but you're like, oh, when is Heath going to be back? <laughs> you know? Another bald guy, back-to-back -back weeks. What's this about, you know? Jeez Louise. You know, there's so many of these. The music, it's just not really my style. Oh, remember when we had this worship leader? He was so much better. You know, I just, I miss those days. Like, I just, this isn't, what, we're doing a new song. There's a lot of really good old songs. Can we just sing those songs? What's the deal? You know, it's too loud. It's too dark, you know. Um, or more seriously, like, I'm struggling with doubt, you know. I'm struggling with church hurt. It's just hard for me to even be in this room right now or you know I haven't been here in weeks and there's like a low-grade guilt about that or it was a terrible week you know I, I just I messed up every night this week I binge ate every day this week right I, I didn't do my quiet time once this week there's a million things you know uh, or I'm a hypocrite you know or I know her she's a hypocrite right? <laughs> like so many things that we that keep us from bringing our whole self into praise um what is praise. Let's talk about what is praise. Here's a more technical definition. This is from uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Just sounds like riveting reading. Uh, it says, praise is the response of awe for God while reflecting on what the Lord has done for the people of God throughout the history of redemption for creation at large, for the community, and for oneself and they go on, the opposite of praise is forgetfulness, to forget all his benefits. So this is a good definition. Uh, as we'll see in the psalm, praise is a response that occurs when we, when we sufficiently turn our attention or have our attention pulled to what God has graciously done in our personal lives and throughout history. Um, but let's be honest, it's a bit of a wooden definition, isn't it? Like, I was bored reading it. I was worried I was losing you, okay? And so when things get a little dry, a little academic, when in doubt, 
C.S. Lewis, okay? C.S. Lewis. Uh, Lewis says this in his wonderful reflections on the Psalms. If you want to read it, borrow it from me. I have a great edition, and just read this little part on praise. It's great. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is its appointed consummation. So Lewis says elsewhere that love, by definition, seeks to enjoy its object. So here's how it works. Love, enjoyment, praise. So if you love Mr. Pickle's sandwiches as much as I do, you will seek to eat, you will seek to enjoy, you will seek to commune with a Mr. Pickle's sandwich. I just met a family. I won't look right at you, but you're from Texas. And uh, find Mr. Pickles. You have never had a better sandwich in your life, okay? Uh, And if you love Mr. Pickles, you want to eat it, you want to enjoy it. Love, by definition, seeks to enjoy its object. And then as you enjoy, said Mr. Pickles' sandwich, if there's no, Lewis says, shyness or fear brought in to check the praise, as you eat the sandwich, there's going to be little noises, right? (laughs) Oh, this is so good, right? That's praise. That's all praise is. And that's why it's less enjoyable to eat alone or to eat with people who you think are going to judge you, okay? Uh, it just, it's somehow completes. It's the consummation of the enjoyment to be like, man, this is so good. This is so good. So if we love God, we will seek to enjoy God by communing with God, with other God lovers, with other God enjoyers here on Sundays. Uh, and unless there's some shyness, you know, or fear present, there will be noises, you know. But shyness and all sorts of things do come in, right, to dampen the enjoyment and quiet the noise, kill the mood of consummation, you might say. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to we're going to gnaw, we're going to we're going to munch, we're going to feast on the goodness of God that's spread before us in Psalm 103, a beloved psalm of David. But the main thing that I want to grab you this morning is the very fact that David is rousing himself to praise. He's not waiting on someone else to rouse him to praise. He's taking responsibility to rouse his own soul to praise. And it's worth it. So here's the main point. God, praising God is our highest duty and our greatest delight. Praising God is our highest duty and our greatest delight. And it's our delight insofar as we take praising God seriously as a duty, as a responsibility. Okay? So just a couple of quick analogies. One, taking care of this temple that God has given you, your body, is a responsibility. It's a duty. But it's only a delight insofar as you take the duty seriously, right? If you, if you work out at the gym with half your strength as if you hate it, you're going to hate it. <laughs> you know, if you're just like, you know, like you're just going to hate it. If you go for a run and you just run like this, you know, It's miserable. You're never, ever going to get a runner's high that way. You have to, like, take it seriously and do it with all your heart, and then you might enjoy it, you know? Uh, The most fitting, the closest analogy is Lewis's own analogy of consummation, 
in marriage, right? God designed love making as duty, yes, and insofar as you take seriously that duty, right, understanding your spouse, understanding yourself, exploring emotional guardedness, all this kind of work to give your whole self, then it just may be a great delight. Half-heartedness kills enjoyment, okay? So Lewis wants to bring, Lewis, <laughs> David wants to bring his whole self, his whole heart, so that he might enjoy praising God fully. You get it? Yeah? Okay, okay. Listen to the preacher, oh my ears, come on, okay. <laughs> praising God is a duty, it's a responsibility, and when you follow David's lead in rousing yourself to go out it with all your heart, the delight grows exponentially. Love seeks to enjoy the beloved. There's no lovelier beloved than God, than God. To get out of your own way, right? To get out of your own head, even out of your own self, in praising God is the highest form of happiness and health there is. And some of you maybe have never experienced it. And I hope it's just because you thought it was like Jared's job or something to get you there, rather than something you could rouse yourself to and take responsibility for yourself. So, let's actually work our way through this wonderful meal, Psalm 103. So, verses 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Now, what I want you to notice here in these verses in 3 through 5, every benefit here is in the present and personal. In the present and personal. They're ongoing their unlimited benefits that you have immediate access to, all right? You don't have to navigate a confusing digital platform or do any paperwork to access these benefits, okay? They're personal, and they're accessible, and they're in the present. It says that he forgives all your iniquity. God is doing that for you, is, He's forgiving all your iniquity, and that means literally guilt. Forgives all your guilt. He heals all your diseases. I did a little work on this. Forgiving and healing are parallel here. So what's in mind here is not, you know, merely limited to physical ailments, uh, but all, everything, all the diseases, you might say, right? All the breaks with shalom, all the disasters, all the setbacks, Everything that comes with being a sinful person, a fallen person, in a fallen world, in an unjust world, in a corrupt world, all the drama, all of it, God is, is healing you. God is working to forgive you. Tell yourself that, right? One day I will know full healing from this. One day I will know what full forgiveness feels like, not just in my head, but feel his mercy and his forgiveness. And right now, God is at work in that, in me. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy or compassion. Crowns means surrounds. So God is actively lifting you up lifting you up from the pit to put you at the pinnacle of spiritual joy, just as he raised his son from the grave and ascended to heaven. God's in the business of resurrection. This is what God is up to, exalting, 
lifting. Finally, five, he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isaiah 41, right? So an eagle is an image of vigor and strength and soaring and freedom. So just ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself these questions on a Sunday morning. What guilt am I carrying in this morning? What healing do I need? Am I still asking for? Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual. What, what pit am I in? What worries surround me? Where am I unsatisfied? Where am I unfulfilled? Now, what is God doing? <laughs> now, who is God in that? Is God the one accusing you of your guilt and shame? Is God the one who is afflicting you with disaster? Why would you want to go to that God? <laughs> is God the one who is casting you into the pit? Is God the one who is shaming you? Is God the one who is holding out on you? Or is God the one forgiving, healing, redeeming, crowning, satisfying, renewing your strength? Thank you, Lord. Like, thank you, Lord, that you are for me. Deuteronomy 8, that you are seeking in the end to do me good. All the discipline, all the testings, all the trials, all the suffering along the way, Lord, I'm trusting. It's for my good. It's for your glory, Lord. I know that like all of this suffering, it's not worthy of comparing to the glory that's in store for me. I see my outer self wasting away, but I trust you're renewing me day by day. Maybe we weren't feeling it. Maybe now we're feeling it a little bit. See? Start there. Start with some like light reps, you know? <laughs> light reps of what God is doing right now for you in the present, personal. What is God doing? Rouse yourself to praise. Next, Verses 6 through 14, focus on who God is. Who God is, his character, his nature. Now, just as uh, preachers today can't quite help themselves but to go back to the cross of Jesus, in the Old Testament you see consistently the prophets and David and all of them would always go back to Moses and the Exodus. The great climactic event where God kind of reveals who he is, what he's all about. And in his action of delivering his people from oppression in Egypt, right? Verse 6, he works justice for all who are oppressed. How do we know that? The Exodus. That's the event that shows us what God is all about. God is all about working justice for those who are oppressed. And then he tells Moses with words, right? This is who I am. I am merciful, literally compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And then you see it more in his action. He's like a really patient dad on a family road trip, you know, in the wilderness. Like they keep trying to trade him in for a shiny new God and grumbling about everything, you know. They're very forgetful of all his benefits. And God is patient. So let's go to the next slide. This whole section, 6 through 14, this whole section in a word, is a meditation on God's rachum, God's compassion. Why does God forgive guilt? Compassion. Why does God heal our diseases? Compassion, thank you. Why does he redeem us and crown us and satisfy us with good? Compassion. It's literally who 
God is. It's the first word that God uses to describe God's self. It's the Hebrew word rachum, and it comes from the word womb. Okay, it's twice uh, here in verse 13 and once in verse 8. Over and over again, God's compassion, his rachum, which means womb. So it's literally who God is. He's compared to a uh, a patient father, how a father has compassion on his children, and the very word compassion makes, makes us think of an expecting mother, right? Feeding, carrying, delivering children. This is who God is, who God has revealed himself to be. And Jesus, say with me, is God's compassion in the flesh. It's God's compassion in the flesh. It should be no surprise to us that the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus in the Gospels is compassion, compassion. Over and over again, the reason he forgave the woman caught in adultery was compassion. The reason he opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf was compassion. Yeah, the reason he fed 5,000 hungry people was compassion. The reason he raised Jairus' daughter and his friend Lazarus from the dead was compassion. The reason he stood up to bullies and leaders was compassion for his people who were like sheep without a shepherd. It was driving everything Jesus did. And the reason he died on the cross for you and for me was compassion. It's compassion. That's why one of our uh, seven core practices here at VCC, our practices of apprenticeship, what it means to follow Jesus is what we call compassionate gentleness. Right, if above all, Jesus was described as compassionate, and the very first word that God uses to describe himself is compassionate, what should the works of his kids be marked by? Compassion, yeah. We're known as bigots, right? We're known as bigots. You know what? Just a quick word on that. Get over it, <laughs> Okay. Don't try to manage Christianity's PR crisis, okay? Like, we're still to do compassionate gentleness, right? It says that God will sort everything out in the end. So go about quietly doing good work. Sponsor a compassion kid and write letters even if no one ever knows about it. Let's go about doing good works of compassionate gentleness. So can we just, this section it's so good. <laughs> Can we just reread part of it? Okay, verse 9. He will not always chide. That means accuse. It's like a law court term for, uh, you know, imagine a couple of attorneys who just love to argue and bicker, you know? So he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. So it's already said God is slow to anger. He doesn't want to be angry and enjoy being angry, and he doesn't stay angry very long. He doesn't nurse grudges and resentments, okay? So it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame he remembers that we are just dust. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? BC, this is true. <laughs> this, is, this is true. It's in the Bible, okay? Do, do you remember Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 3? 
where he's like, oh, for this is the reason I pray so much. I bow my knees before the Father. So I just want you to know the unknowable love of God in Christ Jesus. I just want you to know how great his compassion is. I want you to know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length. I want you to know. I want you to have spiritual strength that comes from knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. Basically, he's praying Psalm 103 would be our soul food, you know, that we would like know it in our bones, that we would meditate on this and understand and know. Psalm 103 is our Sunday morning song. It's our Sunday morning psalm. There's no, there's no cry for deliverance. There's no awkward, kick the teeth of my enemies in, Lord. You know, you got to get past any of that. There's no, like, lamenting, um, crying for help. Like, it's just, it's all positive and encouraging. It's K-love, baby, you know? Like, if you don't get that joke, that's a Christian radio station, you know? It's, it's, it's good. It's positive. It's encouraging. It's like stirring up your soul, strengthening you to praise the Lord. It's your Sunday morning protein shake you know, like get it in there. If you have little kids, find a way maybe once a month or something on the car drive to church, read it, sing it, pray it, get going to pray. So to rouse your soul to praise, first we saw rehearse what God is doing for you in the present, personally. Second, rehearse who God is. You know, try to comprehend the incomprehensible compassion of God. What I like to do is think about, imagine the most compassionate people I know, right? And in our congregation, it's people like Sid Nehemiah and Jill Lorenz. I think of these people that are just like bleeding compassion. And I think about people I don't know, Mother Teresa, you know, his biographies I've read, things like that. And then I'm like, they were only cha- channeling the heart of God. They just got in touch with the heart of God. God is infinitely more compassionate than those people I so desperately want to be like and feel safe to go to that wow third finally focus on who you are to god who you are so he has just said the lord remembers that we are dust we ought to remember that too okay we are dust and he says as for man his days are like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. It's like the flowers were never there. So wildflowers, they spring up gloriously, right? My wife and I live next to the Arroyo Trail in Livermore, and it's just, they spring up seemingly overnight. They're beautiful, and the kids love to collect them. But then they just disappear as if they were never there, you know? And in Israel, the hot, dry winds pick up and just, and they're gone. It's like they were never there. And this is... Uh, one of the recurring biblical images for humans, especially like Psalm 90, wicked humans. But here, Psalm 103 is like, let's be honest, we're all kind of like this. <laughs> we're all like these wildflowers. And I was meditating on this, which just means reading it over and over again, thinking about it. Um, and the word that really caught my attention on this reading was that word flourishing. And I never noticed there are two ways to flourish in the Bible. One, you can flourish like a flower. You can flourish like grass. And two, you can flourish like a fruit tree. You can flourish like a vine. Which one's better? (laughs) The vine, yeah, the vine and the fruit tree. God's will, Jesus says, is that we would bear fruit fruit by by abiding in him, flourishing. 
Blessed is the one, Psalm 1 says, who's like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season. Flourishing, right? So trees and vines, they bear fruit seasonally for generations. Grass bears no fruit. I work hard on my lawn, but it's never going to feed my family, you know? It never will, right? And the best it gets are little flowers, which are weeds, you know, and we hate them, okay? Flowers are flashy. Flowers just want to look pretty. Flowers just want to look impressive. It's caused me to fear a little this week, like how much of my ministry is just flowers? Just trying to look impressive. Look, I did it. It's pretty, (laughs) you know? Get off my back. (laughs) Flowers get discouraged when we get stepped on, right? Someone messes up one of our petals, right? We look at how tall the other flowers are. We want to be like one of those flowers. Or we don't like our place in the field, you know? We wish we were up on a hill like those other flowers over there. We're very, like, focused on ourselves, flowers, you know? Flowers are here today. They're gone tomorrow. I was thinking of Brian's sermon last week. Uh, There's no legacy. There's no honor for the selfish, for the stingy, for the wicked, there's no legacy. There's, there's no honors. I was thinking about this. When's the last time you heard about a flower hugger? No one's ever chained themselves to some wildflowers so that people won't put a playground in, right? That happened near my house, but it was for, a, for an, the oldest tree in Livermore, right? People honor trees. People honor vineyards. We did a tour of a local winery, and they were showing us the gnarled trunks. I was like, don't touch them. You know, they're precious, right? They've been here for generation after generation after generation. And the winds that pick up and kill flowers, like they were never there, that's the story you tell about that vintage. You know, ooh, this was the 2023, you know, when we had all that rain. Pray for my father-in-law. His grapes did not survive the rain and the mold, you know. So there's a story there, though. It's a beautiful story. So be a tree, be a vine, rooted and grounded in love. Humans are wildflowers here today, gone tomorrow, but the steadfast love, verse 17, of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those flowers who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, generations of fruit, generations of blessing. So you can pray it. You can pray this section. Right, Lord, I'm nothing but a little flower. I'm nothing but a little flower, but you are committed to making me a tree. Who am I that you pluck me out and you put me in your garden and you're not giving up on me? Who am I? I hung out with Dan Wallum, one of our members and elders this week, and he, uh, I learned this little quote from him. This is from Augustus Strong, a 19th century theologian. It says, when God wants to make an oak, he takes 100 years. But when he wants to make a squash, he takes six months. <laughs> got to be patient. We can pray like, Lord, I'm your thousand-year project. Lord, I want to be a sequoia. I want to plant seeds that I never see the harvest of in my time. You love me with an eternal love. Even when I forget, you remember. Even when I'm faithless, you are faithful. See how this works? If you pray this, you can get lost in wonder and love and praise, but it takes time, patience, intentionality, imagination. So let's recap. Praise the Lord, first, for what God is doing for you in the present personally. Second, for who God is, his compassion, 
first word he uses to identify himself. What drove what Jesus did. For who you are to God. Even though you're just a little flower, he's committed eternally to you. And he remembers that you're just dust. He's gentle with you, as Jesus said. So finally, verses 20 to 22. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now David's like, bless the Lord, you as angels. He's talking to angels. <laughs> you mighty ones who do his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. That's everything. Trees and animals, plants, everything. All places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So it started out with just David talking to his soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And, and now he's yelling at angels. You know, like, do your part, you know, fourth quarter, let's go, praise the Lord. The animals and trees and angels who've never sinned, you know, who, who don't need to be roused to praise the Lord, who just obey without having to need forgiveness or healing. You know, it's like David was out of tune with re the rest of creation, and so he's been tuning himself up so he can join this great symphony of praise happening for all eternity. Bless the Lord, oh my soul all that is within me all that is within me so listen psalm 103 is your sunday morning protein shake okay sunday morning protein shake so you can give and get the most out of when we gather together as the people of god for praise if you work out with half your strength are you going to enjoy it no you're not going to enjoy it very much if you run with half your endurance are you going to get what they talk about when they talk about the runner's high no. Some of you have already accepted, I'm never going to get that high. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay, all right? And listen, <clears throat> some churches are like club sport, or bay club, is that what they call it? Yeah, bay club, you know, it's nice in that church. Like, they got everything, right? Some churches are more like 24-hour fitness, right? It's okay. It's fine, <laughs> you know? Uh, some churches are like my buddy Keith's garage down the street in Livermore that he put together during COVID, okay? It's cool, but it's janky, all right, you know? Does it depend, like, what kind of shape you get in, how much you enjoy your workout? How much does it depend on the gym? Not Maybe 1%? Maybe, you know, because it might, you might be more excited about going or something like that, you know? But it's like 99%, 100% up to you, you know? Doing push-ups and going on walks will get you in better shape uh, than just having a gym membership. You see what I'm getting at here, right? We're going to sing in a few minutes, VCC. And I want to encourage you to sing loud even if you're not feeling it. Even if you never heard the song before and you're worried you're going to be out of tune. Sing loud. It's your choice. It is your choice. Don't blame the gym, you know. <laughs> Take responsibility for your own praise, your own spiritual health and happiness. Lewis says he noticed misfits and malcontents, they don't praise. Trolls don't praise, right? How healthy are trolls, you know? Not very. They find something to criticize in everything. So choose to become the kind of person who can praise God in any situation. How? By practicing. By singing with all your heart even when you don't feel it. Now, you might say, isn't that hypocritical? <laughs> isn't that hypocritical a little bit? Uh, now listen. We have the C.S. Lewis quote already up there, so I'm just going to go to it and read it. Lewis says this, Mere Christianity in his chapter on love called Charity. Don't waste time 
bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. He uses some rather dramatic examples of this, like the Nazis in his time, who maybe didn't hate Jews at first, but after being cruel, you learn to hate those you're cruel to. And it works precisely in the opposite direction. So you put half your strength into working out. You act like you hate it, you'll hate it, you know? And it's the same with praise. If you put half your soul into praise, you're going to come to hate it. You're going to come to get bored of it, criticize it always. This is why monthly worship seems like a way bigger ordeal than a weekly habit. The highest duty is praise. Greatest delight is praise of God. Can I let you guys in on a little secret? I almost never feel like coming here. <laughs> I, I didn't plan on that. No, I shouldn't have said this probably. But uh, <laughs> y'all have workplaces? I work here. I plan the service on Tuesdays with a team. I know how the sausage is made. You know what I mean? Like, it's very familiar. I've been here almost my whole life. So all my disappointment, my crushed idealism, church hurt, all that pretty much happened here, Right? I got stuff to work through, you know? And so last week I was preparing this and I was like not feeling it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try. Sorry to those of you sitting around me. It works. It works. It works. It's okay to rouse ourselves to pray, to consciously say, God has been so good to me. I so often forget. So I'm going to praise with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, even though I'm not feeling it. So let's, let's do it. Let's get after it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the Psalms. Thank you for inspiring uh, David, who, boy, he was a mess, but he loved you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this thank you for recording his praising, for recording his efforts at rousing himself to trust you and to hope in you and to bless you. Thank you for this summer we've had in the Psalms, and I pray that it's built up our faith. And so now, Lord, as we turn to communion, in confession, and praise, Lord, may we do so with all of our heart, trusting you that as we take this seriously as a discipline, that our delight will grow exponentially on into eternity, that we might even be, come to understand a little bit of how it could be that praising God for eternity does not sound boring. It sounds like losing ourselves being remade, renewed with strength, forgiven and healed and crowned, that it's everything we were made for. We ask for this grace in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.